Second Timothy 2, 15 through 26. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the truth, the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Flytus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from inequity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some of honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Thank you, Catherine. We are in a series on how to deal with difficult people. I said last Sunday when we began this series that every one of us at some point or another has to deal with difficult people. That's not just true if you're in the ministry. It's true in life in general. And I also said that sometimes we are a, that difficult person. And I think part of the takeaway last week, according to people who in their exit survey, that, that, that's not really a survey, it's what they said to me on the way out the door, uh, <clears throat> is is that I stepped on everybody's toes last week, not only in how to deal with difficult people, how to deal with criticism, how to handle criticism, but I guess there was an understanding of how to uh, lovingly offer constructive criticism. And I've, I thought of somebody, I hadn't considered this, and I said that I'm, I'm not going to call names like I usually do during the summer. Do you have any idea how hard that is for me not to, to, to reach out and make a connection in the congregation when I'm preaching? I love to do that. But I have to, I have to mention David White because he mentioned after the, the service last Sunday about dealing with that. And I thought, man, if anybody besides the preacher faces criticism, it's the referee, it's the umpire, it's everybody, wants, you know, throw out the ump. But, and so he has to be able to deal in the right way with criticism. And David teaches those principles to younger guys when they get into that kind of life. Well, I also said to you that I'm being a little particular. The reason I'm not calling names, and listen, guys, the reason I do that is it's like 
and I thought about this, Kim and Kim, it's, it's like God spoke into my heart, and I just sort of throw my heart out there to you for you to look at it and give it back. So that maybe that bit of connection in the middle of the sermon is life-changing for you. I know it is for me. I, I love the connection, the personal connection in the message. Now, I'm backing off a little bit from that because these series of messages are going to be used in our mentoring ministry and others who do mentoring and counseling are going to use them. So if I'm, I think it's clear last week that even though I was preaching to preachers who will view this, I was also preaching to you. And, and I hope you understand, I'm not just doing this so that other pastors and preachers get this. Every one of us needs to know how to deal with difficult people. Now, last week I talked about, okay, that lag got me there for a second. Um, last week I talked about criticism. This week I want to speak about opposition. Let's pass Let's pass the test of opposition because opposition is a test for us. Now, opposition, if you're leading, opposition is inevitable. I mentioned David. He is a leader because he trains other refs and, and umpires. He, he is a leader. If you're a Sunday school teacher, that means a leader of one of our study groups, by the way. That's the terminology we use. You're leading. If, if you're the uh, leader of the deacons, you are leading. Anytime you lead, you will face opposition. But that opposition is a test of you, not necessarily of the person or the group that is in opposition to you. Your leadership will be tested. You will personally be tested. And so it is a test. These are the tests that you're going to face as a leader. It will be a test of your preparation. You see, when you are a leader, you have to be prepared. You have to get that vision, that burden from God and you have to bring others with you. How prepared is your plan? How prepared are you? And how well prepared is the vision that you're trying to cast? Opposition is a test of your preparation. Whether it is over your personal decisions, your life testimony, or our leadership, we need to ask ourselves the following question. First of all, does my vision and my plan, the program, the thing that I'm trying to lead you to do, does it glorify God? Do your best, Paul says to Timothy, to present yourself to God as one approved as a worker, a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. Is my vision a vision from God, and does it glorify God, or is it for my reputation, is it my dream out of the flesh, and it has nothing to do with the leadership 
of the Spirit of God. Opposition will make me test whether I am prepared with my vision and whether it is a vision that glorifies God. When you are opposed, examine what you're trying to do. Does it glorify God or does it glorify me? If you're living and working for the glory of God, listen to me. No matter who you are, you, you should expect opposition. But if it glorifies God, if it is a vision, a program, a plan, a lesson, a sermon, and it's from God, don't quit doing what you're doing to glorify God. Is it biblical? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Is it biblical? Now, I have faced a bit of opposition because of the things that I have preached, the things that I have taught. And I do not want to be unkind. I don't want to be arrogant about this. But friend, when you say to me, I don't think you ought to talk about that if what I'm teaching is the Word of God. If it is biblical, you need to take it up with the author of the book, not with me. It is my responsibility to preach to you the Word of God, whether it is politically correct whether it makes you comfortable or uncomfortable, whether you like it or not. I may not like it either because I started to call somebody's name. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. It, it makes me uncomfortable too. You need to understand when I preach, I'm preaching to you what God has preached to me because I need it. And I suspect if I need it, so do you. And if I start preaching to you what's not in the book, you call me on it. And I'll repent and go back to what I'm supposed to be doing. Is it right? And is it good? Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. God will never call us to do what is evil or wrong. We must ask ourselves, is God really in this, or am I just pursuing my own dreams and my own glory? We're just, I'm not in charge. He is. I'm just a servant of the master and it is his word that i need to be preaching well it's it's a test of our preparation have we prepared our vision have we gotten a vision from god is it from god or is it just a personal desire if it's a personal desire it's not worth fighting for if it's a vision from god and it's biblical. It's worth fighting on and on till Jesus comes. It's also a, a test of our spiritual maturity. A leader who overreacts to opposition is demonstrating spiritual 
immaturity. Now, I'm preaching to me. You get that, right? That is preaching to Lynn. If I overreact to opposition, that means I'm in the flesh. I'm not in the Spirit. And a leader who's constantly battling to get his way is immature. And none of us, we're supposed to be growing disciples. We're supposed to have been changed by Jesus. And he wants us to make disciples, not only be a disciple who is mature with the gifts of the Spirit, to make others to be disciples with the gift of the Spirit. That means I have to sacrifice personal ambition. Now, that's called humility. Now, I'm hesitant. Started to call somebody's name. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Humility is a dangerous sermon to preach. I mean, like the guy who wrote the book. My humility and how I achieved it. Humility, once it's recognized, disappears. But I can preach about sacrificing personal ambition, sacrificing personal desires. Somebody who goes to France as a missionary has definitely had to sacrifice personal desires. Someone who's gone to Africa as a missionary certainly has to sacrifice personal desires. And I was thinking the other day, I have prayed in this congregation for some young man to surrender to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I look back to the day that God would not let me go any further, broke my heart and broke my stubborn will. And I called my wife and said, I've surrendered to preach. We both quit our jobs and moved 600 miles away to attend seminary. We sacrificed our dreams and our plans to follow God and to serve Him. That's why I, many years, 49 years later, get to stand before a congregation I love and break the Word of God before you, the bread of life, and I love what I'm doing, and I wouldn't go back. But it takes sacrifice. You have to sacrifice personal ambition. And Paul says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. It's a test of our spiritual maturity. Are we humble enough to sacrifice our desires for the good of the kingdom of God? And that means you. That means people. Are we willing to cast a vision based on faith? So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. Faith, that is trusting God. Does the vision that you are casting, pastor, does the vision that you are casting, the purpose that you are pursuing in your business, in, in whatever way you're leading, is it a vision based on faith? Over the past years, we've seen more promotion of fear than faith. 
And we have reacted too quickly with self-protection and with fear rather than faith in God. I can tell you that it's easy to protect a comfort zone as a congregation. But we need to step out in faith and trust God to do what we cannot do. We need to make sure that our vision is based on faith in God, His ability, His greatness, His glory, and not our own ability. A leader who never faces opposition is probably not leading. He's just taking people wherever it is they want to go. You know, you can keep people very satisfied and very happy if all you do is just take them where they wish to go. But a leader will take people where they would not otherwise go to achieve things that only God can do. What is it that we're attempting now as an individual and as a congregation that when it happens, it has to have been God that did it? Our vision must be based on faith. It must also demonstrate love. So flee youthful lust. I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but the next in that list is love. Listen, we have to, in leadership, understand that leadership is about leading people. Ministry is about people. And people need a personal touch. Um, You can ask my staff how many times I have said that. That's a quote from Lynn. That's why I put my name up there. Ministries about people, and people need a personal touch. We, We major in this church in giving you every possible opportunity to volunteer for ministry. You can, and and I would encourage everyone here, boy, that would, uh, Brenda would have to make more sliders if, if this happens, but I would encourage every single person here to come to Exploring Church Membership. You might be surprised what you learn about that. And do you know, you can sign up online. You can sign up on the church app. Or you can stop by the desk out there and put your name on a piece of paper. We're going to give you every possible way to sign up and do things. We don't just say, well, you've got to do it this way or you can't get it done. No, we believe in a personal touch. That same thing that I talked about when I preach. Listen, if I'm not personal, I need to get on my knees and get personal with God. So that when I come and stand before you, I talked about, uh, I, I had that vision this weekend when I was thinking about this message. That when I get up here, that's exactly what I do. I take a heart that's been infected and affected by God himself. I try to be careful about blaming God on what I do. But if, if I haven't spent time with God before I preach, I'm wasting my time and yours. And so I take a heart that's been infected and affected by God Himself and I toss it out to you for you to handle and see 
And I want you involved in the sermon. I want you involved in ministry. I want to have a personal touch in your life as I lead this church. A leader who is not personable will soon find himself with no followers. I didn't get a single amen, but that's okay. Does it promote peace? Does it promote peace? So flee you. I'm not going to read it all. Faith, love, peace. Peace is the next test of our spiritual maturity. Does it promote peace? Listen, anything, this is another quote from Lynn from our staff meetings. Anything that needs to be said can be said in a nice way. I've said to you before, that sometimes Baptist church members just need to be told, be nice. Be nice. Some people are just not nice. Be nice. You say, well, I'm upset and they've done wrong and I need to say something. Anything that needs to be said can be said with respect and in a nice way to keep this a peaceful discussion. There's an old discussion, there's an old saying about confrontation and discussion. What we need in this is more light, not heat. You have to think about that one for a minute. What we need is more light and not heat. Can be said in a nice way. It's also a test of our leadership. Now that's what originally my outline said. It's a test of our leadership. And I got to thinking about that, Todd. Leadership, if it is leadership, is about people's skills. If you demand that something be done, if you require it, people will rebel. But if you inspire them, they will charge the gates of hell. Now that didn't make it into my slides, but that's another quote from Lynn to the staff. And to you today, if you require it, you know, it's a law, legalistic approach, you have to do this. If you require it, people will rebel. But if you inspire them, they will charge the gates of hell. My responsibility every time I stand before you is not only to tell you what you ought to do, it's to tell you why and to make you want to do what's right and make you want to do what God wants you to do. It is to inspire. It is to motivate. So leadership is about people skills because one is not a leader if no one is willing to follow him or her. Don't argue. Paul said in leadership and in people skills, don't be argumentative. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Now, some people just love to argue. They, they just, they call it debate. But they just love to argue. You ever heard the old expression, uh, 
he would argue with a stump. Some people just love to argue. I'm not going to call a name, but you enjoyed that, didn't you? <laughs> Some people just love to argue. They, they get strength, energy, fun from arguing. I don't want to be a friend with somebody like that. And I want to tell you that in his letters to Timothy, by the way, I wasn't, Walter said, are you sure you want to say that in front of everybody? Just be careful who you look at when you say it. Now, I didn't know anybody here to look at or not look at, okay? Uh, I did want to say we're not talking about debate class and studious debate. For, we're talking about arguing. Actual disagreement where you argue with anger over it. I know some preachers like that, Todd. I, I know some guys who are just built for debate. And what do they accomplish with that debate? Paul says nothing. Thirteen times in First and Second Timothy, by the way, he also says it in Titus, but thirteen times in First and Second Timothy, Paul tells Timothy to avoid useless debate. Avoid it. Don't argue. Do not be argumentative. When somebody opposes your leadership, opposes your plan, opposes your vision, do not argue. Be kind. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. And yes, I'm not going to call any names. Walter. It means everyone. Everyone. You know how many times I've been asked that question when I say respect everyone, be kind to everyone, love everyone. Yes, it means everyone. No matter how they speak to you, you speak to them with respect. Be kind to everyone. Listen, we need to understand this. And I'm probably speaking more to pastors. Well, no, I'm not. I'm speaking to you too. When you feel uncomfortable about change, I understand that. And as leaders, Todd, we have to understand that change is painful and people naturally resist change. But a leader is responsible for life change. That's what our church is all about. Changed lives. But change makes us naturally uncomfortable and we naturally resist it. But listen, change is inevitable. You don't believe that? Look at your senior picture. <laughs> Try 50 push-ups. I know you did it in the military. Can you do it now? Come on, be real. Change is inevitable. And change under a loving leader is much better than haphazard change that happens naturally. Change is going to happen anyway. It might as well be the leader 
who leads you in change that is under the Word of God and with a vision from God. Endure bad treatment. Because it is, change is uncomfortable. Because people do not change easily. There's going to be kickback. There may be harsh words given to you. So what do you do? You endure it. The Lord's servant must be, but patiently enduring evil. You say, they don't pay me enough for that. No, but Jesus already paid for it. Pastor, I'm specifically talking to you. I know it hurts. I know that the words, I know the actions, the faces, I, I know all of that. And it hurts. But look what Jesus suffered for you. He paid for all that hurt that you're going to experience throughout your ministry. Don't quit. Patiently endure it. Jesus will make the change. Wait on Him. When I lead, I understand that not everyone will get there together. There's going to be some who oppose what I'm proposing and what I'm trying to lead you to do. Not everybody's going to follow immediately. But my goal is never to get so far ahead of you that I am, as Tom Rayner said, mistaken for the enemy and shot in the back. I need to bring, as I cast a vision, and as I lead you, I need to bring as many of you with me as I can. Not everybody will arrive together, but a leader must bring as many of his people with him as he can. The other thing in, in people skills is to take the opposition and make it a teachable moment. We had a basketball coach in our school in Russia who was fantastic at stopping scrimmage, stopping the play, stopping the plays that they're running, and saying, look, guys, this is what you, want, I want, you need to learn from this. Here's the principle that's underneath it. And it wasn't always that... I said I wouldn't call anybody's name. What wasn't always David principles about basketball it was principles about life and and a leader needs to recognize the teachable moments and take advantage of that to show the biblical principles that are involved in what's going on and there's probably no better time to do that than when your plan your program your vision is being opposed Look, understand this. This is the principle. I'm not talking about arguing. I'm talking about using it to teach people the truth and the principles of the Word of God. Finally, I'm talking about the test of opposition and that we need to test, we need to pass the test. It is also a test of our trust in God. When opposition arises... Are we patient enough to let God handle it and let Him be the change 
agent. Let God be the change agent, not me. Let God change people. It's my vision. This is sort of a summary just before I finish the message. Is my vision from God and for God? I need to ask myself that. Is my own heart right with God? That's that spiritual maturity question. Have I properly communicated the vision to the people or are they still not understanding? Communicate, communicate, communicate. Again, that's a quote from Lynn. If anything, over-communicate. Never under-communicate. Am I willing to allow God to convince those I lead? Patiently enduring. Because we need to recognize who the real enemy is. We think that person who's opposing us is the enemy, and they are not. Pastor, the church is not your enemy. Don't ever forget that. You're a shepherd that God has given to them to lovingly lead them. Lead. Be a strong leader. but Be a loving shepherd. Understand the enemy's not the people. The trouble is the devil gets in all of us sometimes. And that's what he says. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Understand who's behind the opposition. Listen, if God's in the plan, Satan will oppose it. And he will recruit people. Perhaps well-meaning people. I'm not just saying that if you're opposing me, you're of the devil. I understand sometimes the one who is deceived may be me. I've said for years, if there is a problem, I first need to make sure that I'm not the problem. You hear that? I need to make sure I'm not the problem. And if the devil's using somebody, I need to make sure it's not me that he's using. Well-meaning people may join him in his crusade, and those who join him will also recruit others. That's, that's the danger of weak leadership. Now, I'm not saying be a dictator. I'm saying Reach out and be personable with people. Communicate your vision and bring the people with you. By the way, you see the footnote? I hate it when somebody says, well, let me be the devil's advocate. The devil doesn't need any advocates. He's got all he needs. Why would you want to represent the devil's point of view? Just be honest and say, well, this is, I'm against it, and this is my point of view. Don't blame it on the devil. I try not to blame what I do on God. You try not to represent the devil in the argument. Is that fair? Sure didn't get any amens. Wait on God. God is the change agent. Wait on God to change our opposition. Or us. It may be me. It may be you. Let God change. And pray for their conversion. 
pray for their conversion, that God will change them. Listen, when it all boils down, there's only two sides. God's side and the devil's side. Whose side are you on? If you're on God's side, get ready for Him to drastically change you. Listen, God wants to change you this morning. If you've been out of church, you're not going, you're not serving. If you're not a church member, if you haven't followed the Lord in baptism, if you've never been saved, God wants to change you, and He wants to change you now. Will you get on His side and do His will so that you can live to His glory? I want us to stand and I'm going to pray. As I pray, you are free to come to the altar, to pray with God about any decision you need to make. Todd, I'm going to ask you to come up here and stand to receive any who would come. And I'm going to ask him, we've done this a few times, I'm going to ask Todd to stay here so that if you want to talk with him, he's just going to be sitting on the steps for you to come and pray with him when this is over. Father, I pray that the message today has glorified you. Lord, and I pray that you will move in this service by the power of your Spirit. Lord, we need a revival. We need a revival of spiritual growth, maturity. We need a revival of souls being saved. We need a revival of people surrendering to ministry, surrendering to membership, surrendering to do your will. And I pray that that movement of the Spirit will begin here and now. In Jesus' name, amen.